I want to say I'm grateful for Jamie and Kathy who were in Costa Rica this morning uh, with the Boita Ball team, uh, Don Josue and Doña Anita, who are the leaders of the Costa Rican Boita Ball team and all of their team. And they were there with them yesterday, will be there until Thursday. We're very grateful that as a small congregation, we actually have influence around the world. Um, there are boy the ball teams in Kenya, Nigeria, Nicaragua, in Costa Rica, in San Antonio, in Boston, and here in Atlanta. And these teams are, um, are amazing. And uh, they are teaching us as a community how to get out of ourselves and go into the world and love our city and love our neighbors. And that's really what Jesus called us to do. So we pray for uh, Jamie and Kathy as they're there in Costa Rica. I was talking to Patrick uh, this last week, and we were talking about the power of written prayers. And he was sharing with me a, a book of liturgy that he had just recently gotten and how encouraging it was for him. And it reminded me of when Brian Emmett shared with us last year uh, when one of the Zoom gatherings we had and he, or live stream gatherings, and he helped us and encouraged us to tap into the vast resources of prayers written by others. There are a lot of resources out there. The common book of prayer is, is one that can be a great resource to you. And it reminded me of Tim and Sharon Yoder, who, who are just so dear. But they said after Brian's message that they had never experienced that as a part of their devotion life. And so they began doing it. And they, they got a copy of Spurgeon's, Charles Spurgeon's prayers, and started reading them daily. And many times on a Friday morning Zoom call, Tim or Sharon will read one of those prayers and how important they have become to their journey in life. And could I encourage us all to be open to that possibility? Well, the verses we're looking at here in Ephesians is one such prayer. It is a prayer prayed by the Apostle Paul for a church that he founded that had parts and people a part of it that he loved and that now he is writing to them. And now 2,000 years later, we get to read that prayer. And we get to tap into what Paul's heart was for this very important church in Ephesus. And so Ephesians 1 and verse 15 reads this way. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. For this reason, Paul starts. For what reason? Well, because of the things he previously said in chapter one. Mind you, he didn't have chapter and verse as he wrote this letter, but he's already made some amazing declarations. You remember from a couple of weeks ago, we talked about seven of them, the indicatives the promises of God that he has fulfilled for those who are in Christ Jesus, the things that he has made happen, the realities for us as followers of Jesus. You remember them, he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us before the foundations of the world. He predestined us to be adopted into his family. He bestowed on us his glorious grace, which he lavished upon us, making known to us the mystery of his will and uniting, gathering us up into Christ. 
These are the realities of the Christian life. What's unfortunate is that many of us don't walk in the full benefit of them. But this life of sanctification and growing up into Christ is that we may more fully experience all that he has done for us. But in addition to this, Paul says that he is remembering something about them. He has heard about something. He's heard something about them and it's brought him great joy in thanksgiving. He has heard first of their faith in the Lord Jesus. And secondly, he has heard of their love for all the saints. Now, I love those two components that make up this church. Remember this church some two or three decades later, the apostle John is writing to in the book of Revelation and he is saying to this church, you've lost your first love. But in this moment, Paul is saying to them, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and I have heard of your love for all the saints. It might be an admonition to all of us that we can love in one season of our life, but we wanna make sure we never lose that love throughout our life. For this group of people, Paul is excited. He loves them. He founded this church. He knows many of them and he's heard some reports and he's excited for what God is doing in them. It reminded me of that. I was reminded of that this morning as I'm preparing and Jamie texted me from Costa Rica. He said, I love you, and I'm praying for you. And I thought, the things that Paul must have felt for these people, I feel for those people in Costa Rica right now. For those of us that have been there, or those of us that have met those that have come here, we have this affinity for them. And when I hear of their faith in Jesus, and how they are loving all the brothers, and all the sisters, and all the saints, and all those that are around them, I'm rejoicing I never stop giving thanks for them as I remember them in my prayers. Paul prays that a new way of living might emerge in these saints and that it might emerge in each of us. And he continues in verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Now, I know this may sound like a lot of uh, spiritual uh, jargon, like it's hyper-spiritual, like it's over the top, but could I encourage us to really read it more carefully? Because each of these things that Paul is saying can be deeply impactful. I'm impacted by it because first of all, I realize Paul prays a whole lot better than I do. He's so good at it and I wanna get better at it. And so I'm challenged by what I see Paul praying for these that he loves. Another really cool thing that Paul uh, makes known is his strong emphasis around the Trinity. Did you notice that? He said that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you the Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love that he, he weaves that in through so much of his writing. You'll see it. If you pay attention, you will see Paul talk a lot about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? What is he praying that the Spirit might do in this group of people in Ephesus? That he might illumine the eyes 
of their hearts. That he would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. Now, this idea of hearts having eyes could seem like a Mr. Potato Head experiment got bad. I had to say something about Mr. Potato Head today, but not the thing you thought I would say. Here's the problem. Too many Christian hearts have no eyes. And too many Christian eyes have no heart. What God intends for us to have is a combination of both, that our hearts would have eyes and be able to see, and they might be enlightened to have greater revelation and wisdom that comes from where? The Spirit of God. Isn't that powerful? Paul's language of prayer is more than religious Christianese. It is truly heartfelt that we would get in on what God has given to us that we would benefit the full benefit of all that he's purchased for us. Why and what a waste it is that God would have done so many extravagant things for us and we don't avail ourselves of them. And Paul is saying, I want your eyes to be enlightened more fully to see the wisdom and the revelation of Christ Jesus that is from the Father of glory, that is given to us by the Spirit of God. He wants us to more fully benefit from all of those indicatives we spoke about two weeks ago. Paul's language of prayer is a deep, deep prayer. But if we're honest, this is not the way we pray for people. If we're honest and we look at the way we pray for people, it's normally just about their needs. It's, it's just about their needs, when, especially when their needs are critical or are difficult. Of course, we should pray for people when they have needs. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But when we hear of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for all the saints, do we pray for them then? Paul did. When he heard the good report, not their needs, when he heard of their faith and their love, that's what made him pray all the more. How are you praying for the saints today? How are you extending yourself and rejoicing? This letter, this prayer should help us to amend the way that we pray for one another. It's not just about our needs being met, though that is necessary. It's about the bountiful faith that we're to walk out and that we might have more and more and more of that. As Jesus followers, our best answered prayer is the increase of our knowledge of God. That's the best thing God can do for us, that he would increase our knowledge of him regardless of our circumstances. I watched Jacob praise God last Sunday. The heart fell, and somebody else mentioned it to me. And I think regardless of Jacob's circumstances, he's learning how to praise God. I think our circumstances are too they are too limiting to us in so many instances. If I don't feel like it, I just don't do it. And yet what God wants to do is in the midst of our circumstances, regardless of what they are, he wants us to have the fullness of his life. That in the middle of our worst, we don't assume that God has abandoned us. It's the opposite. It's in the middle of our worst 
where we need to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened to see that God is with us in all that we are doing, in all that we are facing, that in every storm we face, we can fully experience his peace and his power and his presence. God is with us. He will never forsake us. And just because our circumstances are not lining up with what we would prefer doesn't mean that we can't get in on the provision of God's presence. Now, all of that that Paul is praying for this little church in Ephesus is powerful. And really, we could stop right there and have just a buffet to feast upon. But Paul doesn't stop there. He likes more. He always knows there's more. And he goes on to ask in the midst of this enlightened a heart that we could have, that our, the eyes of our heart could be illumined to see more, that we could get this revelation of his wisdom and of his, and, and all his power operating in us. He says, there's more associated with that. Look at verse 18, the second part. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. He's wanting these three things to be more evident. And this is what he's praying for, for this church in in Ephesus. The hope to which you have been called. Now, Paul, I mean, Will, I associated you with Paul, Will, that's good. Will was talking about Paul and his encouragement to us, to the Roman church, to look at Abraham and that he had hope. And you remember that list, the endurance that produces all that stuff and eventually gets to hope. I, I, I think we love the hope part. We don't like the suffering and the endurance that's required. And yet we are called as his followers to operate to function and to live in faith. What Paul says to the Corinthian church is that there are only three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. And he's saying this hope is so necessary, it is one of the most central things to the Christian faith. In following Jesus, we have been called into a life of hope. And hope helps us see that our, our circumstances do not determine our lives. Our circumstances don't determine even the meaning of our life. Life may be unraveling. We may be coming apart at the seams. We may be facing unimaginable hardship, but there is hope. Paul's own experience proved this. Here's how he describes some of the hardships he faced in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And that's not the kind you get with marijuana. That's real rocks. All right. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger, it sounds like a song, danger... 
from false brothers in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from the other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And you thought your life was hard. This is the one who's sitting in a Roman prison as he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, talking about the faith that they have in Jesus and the love they have for the brothers, and he's rejoicing. And yet we have a hard day and don't think he's worthy of our praise. I don't have the energy to pray today, Lord. What do you mean go over and love my neighbor? Really? Do you know the kind of day I've had? I've had to wear a mask all day long. It's hard. It is. I'm not making light of anything that we face that's difficult. My point is that we can have hope in the midst of it regardless. And that is the hope that Jesus has called us to. Paul knows hardship, but he even better knows the hope to which he has been called. Christian hope causes us to hang on to Jesus as the best thing we have going for us. He's the only thing. Where else would we go? You have the words of life, is what the disciples said. And when we hope like this, we know that he's going to see us through. He's going to get us there. He's going to grow us up in the process. He's going to mature us. He's going to sanctify us. He's going to have glory out of our lives. And he's going to bring us to the other side where we will reign with him victorious forever and ever. There is hope. What you're facing today, it will pass away. But his kingdom and his word will never pass away. So Paul says, I pray that you would know the hope to which you have been called. The second thing Paul prays is that we might know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now I want you to notice, Paul doesn't pray that we would know the riches of our glorious inheritance. I think a lot of us read it that way. We think, well, he's given us so much. We just talked about those seven indicatives. He's blessed us a lot, right? We have salvation. We have forgiveness of sin. We have healing. We're going to be with him in heaven forever. That's our glorious inheritance. But that's not what Paul's praying for. Paul's praying that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance. And he prays that we might know it in as one of his saints. You mean God has inheritance? He's going to receive something? He's going to inherit something? Yes. He said it. He has to create it for himself because there's nobody bigger than God to give him something. But it is an inheritance that he has promised himself And Paul spells it out. It's in the saints. On the surface, it may seem like God is getting a pretty raw deal. God inheriting, receiving a group of so-called saints. I know some of you people. You don't. (laughs) You know you. You know you're not. Somebody says you're such a saint. I'm no saint. If you knew me, you'd not say that. We're more like ain'ts. We're not saints. But we are saints by what he has done for us. 
And so we are a part of what inheritance God is making for himself. Now, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. I'll prove it to you. Deuteronomy, Moses says to the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 4.20, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. And then a few chapters later in Deuteronomy 7, he says, for you are a people holy, set apart, sanctified to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. The same kind of language we hear about in those Uh, those indicatives we spoke of. He has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. All out or out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And then he goes on to talk about, you weren't that great. You're not that big. You weren't that strong. It wasn't because of any of those things that God chose you. He chose you because he chose you. Because he loved you. And he picked you. And by the way, every one of us sitting here today and listening on the live stream today, if we are in Christ, we did nothing to deserve being chosen. He did it because he did it. Because he loves you. The riches we are to experience are those found in belonging to God. Our belonging enriches us. We're his saints, which doesn't mean we earn sainthood by our behavior, But we are saints because of what he has done for us. And by making us his saints, we have become the Lord's inheritance, his own special people, his treasured possession. That we might know the riches of that inheritance is what Paul is praying. So Paul prays first that we know the hope to which we've been called and the riches of his glorious inheritance. And finally, he prays this that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. There is power that he holds that no one can compare to. Now, when the world thinks about power, when we think about powerful people, it's typically with a heavy-handed dominating effect. It's like when we say he's a powerful person, that typically means, well, He can pretty much get what he needs because he has what he wants. But that's not the kind of power that we're speaking of here. This immeasurable greatness of his power is different. It's a specific kind of power. It is counterintuitive to the way the world works. Paul explains it in the next few verses. Verse 19, the second portion, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. The kind of power that is available to us is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Think about that. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the kind of power available to us. And I'll remind you, as Jamie told us last Sunday, that the way of Jesus is not about clinging to privilege and coming up towards domination or dominating others. 
Christ does have dominion. And all things are indeed being put under his feet. But the way he came to us in the incarnation was in humility. Laying aside the privilege. Becoming a servant. Learning obedience by what he suffered, even death on the cross. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places is the power that is available to us. We just better try to get there the same way Jesus did. The moment we start lording over someone or dominating someone and not loving and humbly serving like Jesus did, the moment that our power will be resisted by his power. We have to follow in Jesus' footsteps in order to avail ourselves of the power that is unlimited, that is with him in heavenly places. And to sit with him in heavenly places, we actually get to sit there even now. The immeasurable greatness of his power is not about dominating others. It is about us receiving from the Father the same spirit that raised his son from the dead. And as we believe, recognizing that he is putting all things under his feet and all things into order, that we will one day join him in the new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem and it will be the full culmination of what the kingdom is all about. So, Paul's letter is a prayer. It's a prayer that should give us a model for how we are to pray. And here's my challenge to each of us. This week, take these three things that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. Take the overarching understanding that we should pray in the good days as well as the bad days for those that we love. And take the understanding that we want God's spirit to enlighten our own hearts and give us a, a new revelation and wisdom. As we do, may we learn to pray like Paul. And may we receive the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. And may we have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. And may we know what is the hope to which we've been called. And what is the riches, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable, can't be measured, greatness of his power towards each of us who believe. Amen. Last year, um, the ladies did a Bible study called Faithful, Abundant, and True. And in that study, we actually looked at portions of the scriptures that you reviewed today. <clears throat> and I wanted to bring something forward from that before I pray. The definition that we used for the surpassing greatness of his power towards us, I think is very important because it's that connection between the indicatives that Chris talked about and the imperatives that we feel in our lives that need to be done, that we think God is asking of us. Um, and so in this translation, um, it uses the word for power towards us as being miraculous might, strength, ability, energy, and efficacy. 
I really like that. It works. <laughs> that his power is towards us, and that word towards is a motion implying penetration, producing a particular purpose, result, advantage, or benefit. It's meant to help us because <laughs> we need help. It's continual. It's far more than exceeding. And it's where one thing is changed into another or combined into one. Doesn't that tell us what is happening in the Christian life? That with this surpassing greatness of power working towards us or penetrating us, it is combining us into one. It is bringing unity. And it is changing us from one thing into another. That's right. And that's my prayer for us today, yes. that we get the full benefit of this extraordinary and continuous gift. Amen. Father, the, the songs today about your goodness and how that opened up our hearts in wonder of you prepared us to be penetrated by the power of the word today to see that our faith is probably too small (laughs) to hear Will's testimony about hearing having his own faith increased by witnessing the faith of others both in scripture and in our community but you've done all of that because we must believe in order to benefit from this advantage in order to get all that that Chris shared today to be a part of your inheritance, to receive the hope and the grace. We have to believe that all of these things are true about you. Yes, we do. So I pray for each of us, Father, that you, you would speak to the measure of faith that you've provided to each of us and that it would grow in response to your voice that we would agree with you about your greatness, the all-surpassing greatness of your power, and that we would believe that it's in us for a purpose, that we could be a part of your mission, that we could be obedient in everyday life, that we could overcome the little sins in the same way that you have overcome the power of sin. Yes. Father, thank you for this call to you. Thank you that you have provided what we need to obey and that the power of this word today is eternal. It is at work in each of us, bringing us into you, growing us up into you. Yes. Lord, we pray that these things would be more and more evident in our lives as we grow up into you. And really, we do want the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. We don't want to live as those who have no eyes. And we certainly don't want to live as those who have no heart. Yes. Grow us. Change us. Help us be more fully aware of your hope, of the riches of your inheritance, of the immeasurable greatness of your power. In Jesus' name.